of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, he's our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bear. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, Revive thy works in the midst of the years. Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he's the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock who followed his earth. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is your hope. In 1 Timothy, he is your faith. In 2 Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he's the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he is your example. In 2 Peter, he is your purity. In 1 John, he is your life. In 2 John, he is your pattern. In 3 John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and he's pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him and the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him, the people couldn't hold him, Nero couldn't crush him, Hitler couldn't silence him, the New Age can't replace him, and Oprah can't explain him away. He is life, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, pure. His ways are right, his word is eternal, his will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer, he is my savior, he is my he is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord. He rules my life. Amen. Okay, let's all stand up and repeat that after him. Man, that little mind is sharp, isn't it? I'm glad I'm not his pastor. I'd be looking for a new job quick. That guy's amazing. You can YouTube that, man. That was fun. Every time I watch him, I'm just like, wow. We're raising up champions just like that next door. We are. I don't know if they can do that, but we're raising up champions for Christ. 
Well, here we are. We've got to jump in. Open your Bible to the book of Romans. I told people, I said, I'm teaching on Romans. They went, in one week? I went, well, we're going to do some major themes. I did a, I don't know how many week series several years ago because Roman is so powerful. It's the theological, brilliant book uh, uh, written there by the Apostle Paul. But we're going to just jump right in. The key verse is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I believe it's right there across the very top of your worship guide. Why don't you uh, just read that with me? You don't have to stand right now. Read that with me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace, God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a key, pivotal, foundational verse for us this morning and really for the, uh, for the book of Romans. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, there, there's so many things that you find as you go through the book of Romans, and we're going to just kind of touch on some of those, but the... Uh, uh, this this book, I mean, it is, many commentators and scholars have said that Romans might be the greatest book of the Bible. And that's kind of hard to say there's one book over another. But, I mean, and this verse right here is so theological. Some have even said this is the most theological verse in all the Bible. It's definitely in the top five. Anyway, it's, it's just supreme. That, And here's why I'm trying to teach in the New Testament. I want us to get a grasp of what God's Word says. I want us to begin to see how they connect, how they work together. And more than that, I'm hoping that you're going to begin to dig and read and study and get intrigued and join a small group or a Bible fellowship class. You can call it Sunday school. I don't really care what you call it. On Sunday mornings, those classes are growing. More and more people are studying God's Word, but you begin to do Q&A and you begin to study God's Word. Um, there was uh, uh, an article sometime back, and they wanted to know, how many languages has a certain book been translated into? Like, had one author, and it had been translated a number of times. And this is interesting. There's this guy named L. Ron Hubbard. If I say L. Ron Hubbard, you know who I'm talking about. He's Scientology. His writings, that book, has been translated into 65 different languages. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot of languages, okay? Now listen to the next one. The Mormons have been translated, the Book of Mormon has been translated into a hundred different languages. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want y'all to guess at how many languages as of last year or so has the Bible been translated into. Just turn and, and tell the person next to you. Okay, looks like we're pooling ignorance. Okay, here it is. Ready? 2,656 languages. That's what we know of. And basically every year more and more languages are coming on and, and the gospel is being translated. I mean, it is the all-time number one best-selling book. Last year, 65 million copies of the scripture were sold. And, and you know, you're saying, and let me ask you this. Do you know how many Bibles an average American has in his home? Three. Here's the sad thing. Most Americans don't even read one of the copies that they have in their home. So it's one of the reasons I'm teaching the New Testament is to try to get people intrigued that we don't just have the book. That's why we always talk about Oprah or whoever a lot. The little boy did. Everybody went wild. But we can propagate a gospel, a false gospel, and people will listen. But this is the very authoritative word of God that I teach from week in and week out. And you have copies. And if you don't have a copy, come see me. Go see one of our staff members. They'll give you one. They might even give you their own personal copy. I don't know. But it's not that we don't have them. It's just that we don't read them, much less study them. So I'm praying we're going to get into this. There's some things I want to share with you about Romans. A lot of great uh, 
scholars, writers have said a lot of things about the book of Romans. Richard Halverson, that great guy in the university senate, the chaplain, he says, in a very basic sense, Western civilization is a byproduct of Paul's letter to the Romans. Nothing was written by man that had a greater impact on modern history. Now, that's a pretty profound statement. Listen to what Richard Baxter said. It's Paul's magnum opus. Listen to Samuel Coolidge. The most profound writing in existence of all time. I go, amen. And then John Calvin. He says, if a man understands Roman, he has a sure road open to help him understand the entire Bible. That's why it's so important that we begin to study the New Testament. But today, as we look at the book of Romans, if you understand Romans, you really understand the heart of the Father. Let's go on to Martin uh, Luther. The chief book in the New Testament, it deserves to be known by heart, word for word, by every Christian. Chuck Swindoll. How many of you have ever read a Chuck Swindoll book? Great. That's all. Raise them again. I'm just curious. Wow. Used to you say that, like everybody in the room would go, yeah, I got 20 of them. You know, okay, listen to this. Here it is. The most important book of the Bible. Swiss commentator, every great revival in history can somehow be related or pointed back to this book. And I can read over and over all these people that go, this book has underpinnings that are critical for my faith, and I have to understand what they are. Now, I want to share with you some, uh, some quick facts. It was dictated by the Apostle Paul, but it wasn't written by Paul. Who was it written by? No, not Jesus. I mean, he was ultimately behind it. Who was it written by? Tertius. That's what it says in the book of Romans. He was like the secretary. He was like my Cheryl that serves the staff here. When I wrote the book, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I typed, and I wrote, but the thing is, I write a lot faster than I type, and the people say, we know, but we can't read it. Cheryl, she, she was the scribe in the church, and she typed it so they could read it at the publisher, and I go, bless you in Jesus' name. She gets a spiritual gift for that. I can't find the verse, but I know it's got to be there. But she wrote it down. And Tertius, the scripture says, he wrote down these great words that the Apostle Paul was lecturing on. Did you know when we look at the book of Romans, listen to this. It's like the Apostle Paul comes to our church and we get to read his lecture series. That's what we read in the book of Romans. That brilliant scholar, I love the word, erudite mind of the Apostle Paul his lecture series is in the scripture for us and we can go what did paul think about this what did paul think about that we read it also there's 16 books that are attributed to the apostle paul so pretty much you know his theology you know the theology of jesus let me give you a, another fact it was written there in corinth it was his only lecture series it contains the most complete examination of the great truths of the christian faith in chapter 16 Paul begins to greet people. Now, when you read the writings of Paul, does anybody besides your pastor feel like he's reading a phone book sometimes? You ever read phone books for fun? Okay. You ever looked up a phone book? See, in a couple years, like, no, man, I just look on, my, on the web, baby. I just, you know, I do it my, on my text or whatever. But anyway, some of us that are over 30 or whatever, we, we, we know what it is to look in the book. But when you read the, the writings of Paul, it looks like a phone book. And here's what he does. He writes, and then he writes commentaries about these guys and girls. So this morning, our, our, our homework is, I want you to write a commentary on everybody in our Bible. No, I'm just kidding. 
But it would be fun if you just went, this is what I think of when I think Bruce, when I think Susan, when I think Terry, when I think Jay, when I think this person, the, you know, just a few words. And when you begin to read his writings, you're like, man, you're right, man. It's the phone book of Scripture. And I just begin to see these great truths that just begin to come out. Turn over to Romans. We're going to be all through it. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. Will you turn there with me? And I want you to look at verse 4. Critical verse. You might want to underline it. You might want to underline a lot of these I give today. In verse 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Through God's holy word, we find hope. Hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Lordship of Christ, we find an eternal living hope that will not fade, that will not be spoiled. Amen. And you're saying, well, I need hope. Then read the Holy Scriptures. Begin to read the Psalms and you'll find hope for your weary soul. But for this context, you begin to read Romans and meditate and study Romans. You will find that if I will endure through the Scriptures, God will produce God will infuse your heart and mind with hope. It, it's just a beautiful thing here. I want to give you in 10 words or less, you can write this across the top of your outline if you have room. In 10 words or less, I want to summarize the book of Romans. Sinners are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. Sinners are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole book of Romans. You're going, well, why I want to read it? You just talk, no, 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 no. Okay, let's just have fun with this. You remember those things called cliff notes that we found in high school? Do we have any English teachers? I need to ask that first. Do we have any English teachers? They need to leave the room now, please. How many of us read cliff notes and tried to make it through? Look at all of us. Let's all come to the altar and repent right now. Let's just all come. Because you didn't want to read the entire work. And then, as, and then as we got into videos and DVDs, then we say, well, watch the movie. We'll watch the book. Some of you are like, is something wrong with that? That's what I stood there. Okay. Let me just say this to you. My prayer is that you'll begin to read the book of Romans every single word because it was inspired by holy God. And Romans is important. So I can give you a synopsis. I can give you outlines, which I'm fixing to do. But... You need to read it. It is just so powerful. I've read it over and over, and I still, I'm going to even tell you the greatest chapter in all the Bible, in my opinion, today. You're saying, what? Of all the books, of all the chapters of Holy Scripture, you're going to give the top one? In my opinion, yours could be different. It's that powerful. But I'm not going to get there yet. You just got to hold on. Some of you are going to say, I got to stay awake then. That's right. I want you to do that. In chapter 16, you begin to read over there. He talks about Phoebe, and that's the phone book thing. He talks about Priscilla and Aquila. And guess who was the woman? Priscilla and Aquila. Who's the woman? Priscilla. In those days, it was very uncommon for a woman to come first. But you know, you know what it tells me? The woman was sharper than the man. And all the women said, amen. How many of you think the women are sharper? Oh, Okay. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Y'all weren't very, ain't nobody having lunch today. Y'all are about dumb. That is just not smart. I was trying to help you. I, I'm thinking here in verse 20 and 21. Look, look at 1621. Look over there with me. Here it is. Look what it says. Well, actually, I meant to tell you uh, 22. 
I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Circle it, Tertius. You're saying, well, I just thought you made that up for some Josephus or some historical writing. No, according to the Word of God, Tertius Penn wrote down what the Apostle Paul said, what he dictated as the Holy Spirit led him. And then he gives in there, he talks about hospitality from Gaius and the Erastus, the city director of public works there in Rome. And it's all these things. But I want to get into the, the mega themes of, of Romans. Now, let's get ready to write. The greatest problem all time, forever and ever, is sin. It's, it's just the number one problem, sin. We all have sin. We have a sin problem. Sin is separation from me to the floor. Separation is the chasm that exists and it keeps me and you from crossing over to God. In itself, it's a huge problem. Before you found Christ, before you received Christ, before you met Christ, you had a problem. Like, Houston, we got a problem. No, hey, baby, we got a problem in this room. Sin, somebody will ask me, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? You need to talk to God. Hey, does God hear my prayers? Does God do that? I'm going to tell you this. Sin, when we have sin, the Bible says when we cherish sin in our hearts, when we cherish iniquity, God doesn't hear us. How many does that encourage? Nobody. But when we confess, and I love 1 John, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us, will purge us from all unrighteousness. But So God has to deal with sin, and we'll look at what the prescription is for that. But I just want you to see this. In Romans 3.23, turn over there. Some of you memorized this years ago, but this is critical. Romans 3.23, for some have sinned and... Good, catch me. Okay, I just want to make sure. All right. What are you talking about? No, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to circle something. All. Circle the word all. All is inclusive. All. All means everybody. Fall short. I want you to circle that. Everybody falls short. Matter of fact, as we do that, uh, here we go. Bailey, you want to do something with me? I mean, Noah. I mean, dude, I'm having a hard time with names. Noah, come here. Come here. I want you to do something with me. And Noah, you look like you're pretty strong and pretty healthy. And how your knees doing? Good. Yeah, shoes. You got a little spring in them? Well, they're going to have to get a little spring. All right, ready. Now, now here's what I want to do. Now, Noah, I, I want to I ask our congregation, okay? Who thinks who can jump the highest? Does anybody think Pastor Keith can jump higher than Noah? Raise your hand. Look at that, Noah. It ain't looking. How many think Noah can jump higher than Pastor Keith? Hey, man, the pressure's on. Did you see that? Your church has confidence in you, baby. They got zero in me, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. All right, look at me. Ready? Now, since they told me not to jump because they think I'm a chump, I want you to jump as high as you can. Just jump. Come on, put your hands together. There we go. Now, do you feel a little ridiculous? You don't need to. You know why? Because guess what? Noah is a good jumper. He might even be in the Olympics one day. But here's the deal. We've got about as much chance of jumping and landing on the moon as we do of getting into heaven without Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Hey, put your hands together and thank God for Noah. Noah, you're a great illustration. See, we all, we all blow it, man. We mess up. You're going, but dude, no one can jump higher than you. I know that. Ain't no big deal. He can jump higher than you too, okay? But we're not going to make it. You're saying... But they're more righteous. They do better deeds. They do this. They, they're nice. They smile. They have no negativity. Okay, are they going to make it to heaven? Here we go. Let's do this. If we were swimming, 
How, how many of you can swim? Jeff Bush, you can't participate. Jeff's training to be an Iron Man. Okay. But anyway, how many of you, how many of you can swim across one side of the lake to the other side and you're in a small slough? Raise your hand. Okay. Now let's get a little bigger slough. Okay. Now let's see real island to Kalaja. Raise your hand. Be truthful. Oh, put a hand down. You lying. You know what? And here's the deal. You, where's Jeff Bush at? Jeff, where you at? All right, let's say Jeff, Jeff's been training, he's learning swimming techniques. And let's say that we all swim and somebody swims 75 yards. Let's say Chuck Bolton swims 75 yards, okay? And let's say Jessica swims 750 yards. And let's say uh, my basketball girl's back there. Let's say y'all swim two miles. Woohoo! You know what? You're going to be just as dead as Jessica and Jay. But let's say that Jeff Bush, because he's Iron Man, loves God. He swims three quarters of the way from real island to Kalaja. He's still going to drown. You know what it tells me? None of us are good enough. We all fall short of the glory of God. You're saying, but man, my sin is so great. That's the good news of grace. Jesus' blood is even greater than your greatest sin. And even though we fall short and we got a problem, God doesn't leave us in that problem. That's, that's the glorious hope of the gospel when we see that God does something about it. So what's God's prescription? Grace. Fill it in there. God's got a prescription. Grace. And I, I've preached on grace a lot, and I love grace, and I adhere to grace, and I want to be a grace giver, and I want to be a grace liver, and you want to submit yourself to grace? And look at Romans, not 3.23, go to 3.24. Because, you see, a lot of times we read a verse of Scripture, we memorize a verse of Scripture, but we don't read all the Scripture. And if you look at Romans 3.24, look what it says. And we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're what? Look at what it says. We're justified freely by His grace. Just as if we never sinned here. We're, we're justified. Unmerited favor, that unconditional, amazing, agape love of God in Christ. He loves us, and he, and he offers grace to all that will call on him, all that will be covered by him. Um, let, let me say this to you. Okay, anybody over 40 is going to understand my illustration. And if you're under 40, you're probably not going to get it. And if you're 25 and under, and you're a teenager, and you're an elementary kid, there ain't no way you're going to get it. But it's the best illustration I can give. Here it is. When I was a little kid, Noah, Pastor Keith could jump one day, and he was a little kid, okay? When I was a little boy, sometimes I'd go to the grocery store with my folks because I remember we had this uh, big bear at the foot of the hill, and Mr. Ship was down, and he'd always give you dantine. That's the only reason I went because he'd always give you dantine. Man knew how to get your folks in there. I was like, hey, we're going to the grocery store today. So we'd go down there. But when we, we got ready to check out, they would give you these things. They were called yellow stamps. And if you get yellow stamps, some of you got green stamps. And you would get those. And then you got these little books. And you would go home. And as a little child, see if any of y'all had this job. My job was to lick all those nasty, gnarly. You, you know, you would lick so many stamps, you couldn't close your mouth for a week. How many of you licked stamps when you were a little kid? See, we, we're going to start a support group for us. It, it'd be cool. And you would lick stamps, and you would fill those books up. And, and if you got enough, then you could bug your mom enough to go to the redemption center. And it used to be over on the southern bypass. Ah, oh, glory. 
See, we didn't have Costco and Sam's and the Internet. I mean, man, we, you know, I mean, we, we used to play with rocks. I mean, you know, and, and man, we get excited, and we go into the Redemption Center, and you would go into the Redemption Center, and if you had enough of those puppies and bags, you would walk in, and your mama, you, man, you'd be like, a new toy, because I had books, and you could look through there, and if you had this many stamps, you could get this thing. And invariably, your crazy mama, your crazy daddy, they get a toaster or a lamp or something meaningless. I didn't get it. And maybe they threw you a bone and you got a toy. Did, does anybody understand the redemption center thing? And the rest of you are like, y'all need to get out more. Man, this is really bad. Well, here's the point. It's what God does. God redeems us in Christ. He pays the price in full. He receives us. He accepts us. I'm really glad they did away with the cute yellow green stamp stuff because, man, my mouth couldn't handle it anymore. It was really nasty, you know? But look at this. Look at Romans 8, verse 1. Turn over there. Great verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is awesome news. There is no condemnation for those that dwell, that abide, that rest in Jesus Christ, that have Christ as their Savior. Christ is their Lord. Christ is their Redeemer. They've been redeemed. They're, hey, there's no condemnation. There's life. There's liberty. There's hope. You can just begin to read there through the whole eighth chapter, and you, and you see that. But let's look at point two, because I'll come back to this in a minute. Number two. Our greatest challenge is change. In Romans 6 and Romans 7, you begin to see these great things, but in Romans 6, verse 7 and other, you begin to see the quicksand, the condition of our soul, and we have a hard time changing. We have a hard time releasing. We have a hard time pushing back from sin. I mean, sin, sin is uh, capturing. It's tough. And, and yet we die to sin. We can be free. We can be released from sin. We can be free to walk in the fullness of life, and yet we choose sometimes to run back to sin. And so it's that constant, continual battle of the flesh and the spirit and and but the Bible says in Romans that sin no longer has control. Sin no longer has to master over you. But you can choose for it to master you. So you begin to see that. Listen to Romans 7, 15. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You say, man, he sounds like he's conflicted. He is. And so are you and me many times. And some of you today, you're living in Romans 7. You're stuck in Romans 7. You're stuck in desperation. You're stuck in despair. You're just stuck, baby. You need to get out of Romans 7. You're like, well, okay, I like Romans 7. I got friends. Well, let's go on. Romans 7, 19. For I, not, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on go, doing. I keep on going. I keep on doing this over and over. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm sinful. I have bad thoughts. I do bad things over and over. And it's like, you're saying, man, is there any hope? Hold on, you'll see it. Because, see, sometimes we get stuck over there. And it's despair and discouragement, but we get defeated. And we just think we're going to be stuck. But then you go over to Romans 8 that we just read. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 4 and following verses. Begin to look at this. Oh, you begin to see that God's got something else for us. Because if we stay in our sin... There's complete and utter destruction. There's, uh, the Spirit dwells in us when we have Christ. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. We're no longer slaves to sin, but yet many of us will choose to yield to sin and surrender and submit to sin. And God says it doesn't need to be that. And we, so we struggle. We do a dance with the flesh all the days of our life. And some of us are miserable for that, and carnality and sin takes on. So I want you to write this down in your notes. This is extra flesh and spirit. 
we, we have two natures that compete. We have two natures that battle every day. And flesh would represent the worldly part of us, death, the part that's hostile to our holy God. It's, it's the wickedness of man. It's the part that says, I won't follow Christ. I'll follow myself. But then there's that spirit. And that's what God comes to give us in Christ. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. And that's spiritual life. And that's being reconciled to God. It's having the resurrected life. It's being fully alive, fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Oh, that's the life. That's the life that Christ came for. That's the life of Romans 8. And he begins to say, you get indwelt by him. The Spirit controls you. You come into a family relationship. You come to identify with a Savior this morning baptism those five that's what they did they said identify with jesus christ my savior bruised and broken and crucified for me but he's raised and i'm raised with christ and i declare jesus christ is lord and they said my name is this and i am a i'm a christ follower i follow christ i don't want to rule on the throne of my life anymore i want christ to rule and they begin to see but then he begins to move on here the, the mindset and i want you to see this what is it here? Our greatest, uh, our God's solution there is rethink. We have to begin to rethink. We have to begin to get repatterned. Oh, John Mark knows so much more about this as a counselor. He helps people break strongholds and patterns of thinking. But I'm going to tell you, if your thinking is stinking, you're in trouble. Some of you just got some stinking thinking. You got some tapes you play every day, and they're just wrong, and they're just from the evil one, and they're even from people that loved you, or they said they loved you, family and friends and coaches and teachers, and you play those tapes, and I want to tell you, friend, play the tapes of the gospel. Play God's word and see what God says about you. God's got a plan and a purpose and a future and a hope. And he wants to set us on fire. He wants to set us free. And John Maxwell says, you know, we have to change our thinking. And we change our thinking, it leads to changing our beliefs. And when we change our beliefs, it changes our expectations. And God wants us to go there. And when we change our expectations, we change our attitudes. That's the gospel change. I once was lost. I once was like this. But now, I walk in the reality of Jesus Christ, of him raised for me. But here's what we do. Oh, now don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't want you to have trouble this afternoon, okay? But see if anybody's ever prayed one of these. God, I'm glad I could be here today. But oh God, change my husband. Change him, God. God, change that man. Give him grace. Oh God, change him. Oh, God, change my wife. I can't live with that woman. It'd be better to live on the corner of the roof. Oh, God, change her. Oh, God, change my teenager. Oh, God, change him, Lord. Did I nail anybody in the house this morning? Don't, don't raise your hand. Did you you got to get a new way. You got to get a new thought. You got to get a new process. God wants to change you. Let me tell you right now, I could help a lot of us, count myself. If Christ changes me and you, the hope of glory, we, we're going somewhere. But if we just keep saying, oh, God, but change him, change her. Oh, God, I pray this. Oh, God, change the church members, God. Change them. Oh, God, change this. God, start with me. God, draw. How about if, don't do it literally. Draw, a, a, get a piece of chalk and draw a circle. God, draw. Change everything inside that circle. 
starts with me. It starts with you. God, change our ways. Begin to give us. Listen to Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Well, that's death. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. In, in, in Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is what? It's what? Death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. In the Word, what does it do? It judges our words and our thoughts and our actions. And, oh, God, read us and begin to change us and give us a biblical pattern. Turn over a few more pages. Romans 12. I was just reading this earlier today. I've, I've read this for so many years. I, I love this. I have to be reminded of it often. But not just reminded. I need to, uh, I want to practice it. Listen to what Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. But, oh, God, transform my mind. Change me, God. Because when God changes our mind, our actions and our beliefs and our expectations change. But if we don't renew the mind, it's like this. When we lose weight or we set out to do something, we have to first have our thinking changed. When we decide we want to sin less and follow Christ more, he begins to do a work. He begins to renew the mind. But let me say this to him, number three. Our greatest fear today is rejection. Some of you fight rejection all the time. Oh, I'll be rejected. Oh, if I do this. I remember when I showed up on the junior high campus. Do you remember that? Maybe you're in junior high. Junior high life can be cruel or it can be good. And if you feel rejected, it's hard. But some of you have been rejected by a spouse. Some of you have been rejected by a parent. Some of you have been rejected by this and that. So rejection helps you. It doesn't help you. It paralyzes you. It's somehow your concept of Abba Father. And I'm telling you, we have a Father that loves us unconditionally. And He wants you to get past that, and He wants you to get through that, and He wants to go, I want you to move on past this rejection thing. You're stuck in your rejection. You're stuck in Romans 7. But look at God's answer. It's reassurance. God begins to reassure us. In Romans 8.35, shall trouble or hardship, or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he basically tells us that we're sounding, no, those things shouldn't separate us. But our assurance gets sealed in the person of Christ. But look at Romans 8, look at verse 38, look at verse 39. For I am convinced, when he says convinced, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you and me from the love that is in God, in Christ Jesus. Nothing, baby! Nothing can separate you from the love of your Heavenly Father. He has said that, He, he stands on it, and He offers it freely to all that will come to Christ. And God loves you, and God's got an incredible way for you. And you're saying, but I'm separated, I've messed up. You can come back. You're a prayer away. I'm right on the edge of the kingdom, Pastor. Why don't you enter on in today and say, I want to follow Christ. Let me say this to you. This is going to help somebody right now. I'm gonna, I told you, I'd tell you. The greatest chapter in the Bible, my opinion, chapter 8. Read it all the time. It'll change your life. Read this over and over. And see what Jesus says to the Apostle Paul. What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. 
So you've dealt with rejection maybe all your life, or you dealt with it last week, or you dealt with it this morning. You felt like I come in and everybody's going to reject me. Look to your Father. Look to the positional truth of who Christ is. Look at number four. Our greatest calling, our greatest calling here is purpose. Purpose. Um, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them your birthday. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them your birthday. Just tell them. Okay, it's not going to take that long. Did anybody turn to anybody in their birthday was today? Cole, you're in the house, aren't you, buddy? Today, Cole's 11 years old. Let's put our hands together. Isn't that cool? He turned to his mom and said, man, today's my birthday. Now, we all can tell people, was there somebody else? Is it your birthday, too? Scott, where's Scott Brown at? Oh, happy birthday, big boy. Let's put our hands together. Oh, Scott, man, happy birthday. It's awesome. How many of you want it to be your birthday? Hey, yeah, yeah, okay. How many of you, every time you got to eat, it's your birthday? Yeah, that's called lack of integrity, okay? All right. Now, you know what's your birthday? I want you to turn to a person and tell them why you were born. Turn to, ne- to them next, a little harder. Turn to the person next to you and tell them why you were born. Some of you are looking at me like, I ain't got a clue. Okay. Okay. You know, here it is. The most irritating invention known to mankind. I know what it is. No. The most irritating invention of all time is the blasted alarm clock. And the church said, amen. There's nothing good about that thing. I curse and bind them demons every time they yell at me. I know I need it. I need to get up. I have to bow that flash. I mean, many times like, oh, man. And, you know, before I get up, you know, man, I'm spiritual, and I hadn't really said anything ugly or gossip. And then I get up out of the bed because the alarm clock goes off. And then, oh. And then you have to ask yourself when you hit the floor, why did I get up today? Hopefully you go because there's purpose in my life. There's passion to fulfill. There's something to do. That's, that's what the next one is. God's direction is passion. Look at Romans 12, 11. Great verse. Look at it. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor for serving the Lord. Spiritual fervor, energy, power, dynamite, energizing, indwelling, filling, overflowing you. That fills you, and you begin to say, God, I don't want to be lazy. I want to be diligent. I want to be a servant. I want to be enthusiastic in my devotion to you single-mindedly, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to, as Romans says in Romans 12, I want to offer myself, my body, I want to offer my spiritual gifts to serve Christ, to serve the body of Christ. I want to fight against discouragement and defeat and despair and negativity. I want to overcome. I want to have fervor. I want to be strong because I believe in the one that God sent, Christ Jesus, the whole book of Romans. So we go, we share the good news. And then I want you to move on down here to Romans 12, 21. Do not overcome, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Teenagers, memorize this verse, 1221. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what it says. Don't retaliate. Don't be revengeful. Don't take revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God, you handle my future. But, Lord, I'm going to overcome evil with good. Let me tell you what happens to me on Sunday mornings. I have a lot of friends here. I hope all of you are my friends. 
But I have this one special friend. He lets me know how Christ loves me because he loves me with the love of Christ. His name's Hunter Holden. And Hunter makes me have a great day. Hunter finds me in the hall, and he runs up, and he gives me the biggest hug I'm like. Praise God. I told his dad today, I said, if every member loved me like Hunter, this church would be exploding to the seams. And they loved each other. I mean, he just, he just loves. It just exudes. Hunter, bless you, man. I, I need that. How many of you need that kind of love? We need that kind of love for one another. We serve each other with spiritual fervor. Some are like, I ain't loving nobody. I ain't even a hugger. I don't, I don't even this hugging stuff. You know, I was a bunch of pastors the other day. It's weird when a pastor can't hug. Y'all know me. I hug and high five you and make people like you know a jump in the house of God, all kind of crazy stuff. But I was with this pastor the other day. And we were getting pretty real. We had a first foxhole of Southeastern experience. And in one of our last sessions, he goes, I got to confess something to you. I ain't into this hugging stuff. I mean, this guy's like 6'5". He's huge. I was like, oh, crazy. That's a crushes. He's like, no, he says, but man, God's melting my heart. I'm realizing that's the love of Christ. And so, you know what we did then? Every time we saw him, we made sure we went up and just hugged him. Yeah, you know, we just do stuff like that to irritate people. That and put alarm clocks in their room so they can get up at weird times, you know, whatever. All in Jesus' name. Let me, let me give you this last thing here in the box. I got to do this quickly. I knew I couldn't preach through Romans. I mean, I, I got so much more information, but I, I want to just give this to you. Basic Christian doctrines discussed. You read Romans, and there's a lot of theological words. There's a, there's a lot of words that you're like, man, I, I don't even understand what it says. I don't know what it means. So on your, uh, on your flap today, if you turn over to your flap, you, you, you'll, well, no, on the flap, you actually have the, uh, uh, the breakdown that I wanted to get to of Romans 1 through 16. I'm sorry, turn back to the bottom. The bottom of your thing, it says, Basic Christian Doctrines Discussed. I want you to write this in. This will help you. This will be something you can refer to. Ready? Justifications. There's the verses that underline this that begin to talk about what is justification? God's act of declaring us not guilty for our sins. Just write that in. God's act of declaring us not guilty. The simplest definition is just as if I never sinned, God justifies us in Christ. Look at the word propitiation, Romans 3.25. It's the removal of God's punishment for sin through the perfect sacrifice and atonement of Jesus Christ. God purges, he removes those sins as far as the east is from the west. Redemption. Redemption is simply this. It's where Christ has paid the price so you and I can go free. The price of sin is death, but we go free through Christ. Sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus Christ through the Word of God. Sanctification, being set apart for the purposes of Him. The last one, glorification. The ultimate state of a believer after their death. The ultimate state of a believer after their death when he or she fully becomes like Jesus Christ. And you might just want to refer to this because you'll see Paul using these words all through the book of Romans. So here's my question today. Will you give God a chance? Will you give God a chance to love you? Will you give God a chance to change your direction of your life? Let's pray. Father, how good it is just to be in your house with your children and with people that have gathered, maybe some that are outside the confines of the cross. Maybe they've never bowed at the cross to receive Christ. But, Lord, I pray that today people could find freedom and strength to let go of the past. 
and to begin to see themselves that they can never be separated from the love of Jesus in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray that they would draw near to your love, Father. They would draw near to your, they would respond to your grace for their lives and they would begin to live from this day forward with purpose. And God, that they would change the focus and the direction of their life. And it all stops, it all starts with one thing. I open my heart to Jesus and I invite him to come in and dwell and to be my Savior and my Lord and to cleanse me from unrighteousness and sin and to dwell in me and to live in me and through me. And it's called starting a walk of faith. Lord, today I pray that some would get justified, they would be redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, that you, Jesus, would atone for them even this morning. Thank you that nothing will be able to separate us from your love in Jesus. God, we love you. Thank you that we got to gather this Sunday morning. And Lord, thank you for this book. Make this book real to each of us. In the name of Jesus, amen.